In this podcast, Wayne Bruce talks to Andrew Kincaid, the General Manager of Residential Care at Catholic Healthcare. Andrew, thanks very much for your time today, coming in to have a chat with us. Perhaps I might start off by asking what your first job out of university was and uh, did that shape your future career path? And if so, how it did? Thanks, Wayne. Uh, so my first job out of, well, my first full-time job out of university was working at Quarry Group. And I was very fortunate to land in a private equity team with a, a bunch of you know, brilliant but very down-to-earth people at a time when Macquarie was first uh, investing in aged care. So I was part of the team that put together and developed what is now the listed aged care group, Regis Healthcare. So in short, fast forwarding to today, I think that that experience of that exposure at an early age to aged care, a sector, even then was going through a lot of change, but clearly had a lot more change to come, was, was key to the role I'm, I'm now uh, doing. Has any particular person inspired you in your career? So I've been fortunate in every role to work with great people and, and great leaders. In my role, I tend to learn from um, and be inspired by everyone I work with at all levels. Uh, outside of work, father has been a, a key influence. So dad has always worked in, in healthcare in senior roles. And I've got memories at a young age of you know, walking through hospitals and dad having the, the same relationships with the professors and specialists as he would with the cleaners, maintenance, cooks. I guess that leadership style of of treating everyone equally and doing something that is very meaningful and having an impact on people's lives. They had a strong impact and some strong influence on me. What attracted you to your current role at um, Catholic Healthcare where you head up their aged care division? I think uh, well, I think it was, it was our conversation, Wayne. So I mean, to be frank, it, it wasn't on my radar at the time and I may not have discovered it or taken it forward had we not had the conversation. I think what impressed me was the people I met and and the story of, a, of an organisation that you know, had some very exciting growth ahead but didn't quite have all the building blocks in place. So I was excited by being able to take a, an organisation on, on a journey of preparing for a new world, a whole lot of change in, in the sector that was already on the horizon and, and more than happened since, and, and putting in place the right people, processes and systems to, to operate effectively in that new world. If I might ask, what's the impact of the Royal Commission in the aged care sector currently and what do you think it'll be moving forward? The morning after it was announced, I had to get up and speak to all of our people. What I said then is what I still believe now, which is there's a short-term and a long-term aspect to it. Short-term is challenging, not because of necessarily because of what's coming out of the Royal Commission, but because of the impact it has on our people. So our people working in aged care is not just a job, it's a vocation. They do it because they're incredibly dedicated and passionate. And so the stories that come out, as confronting as they are, have an impact on our people in terms of being asked about it at the barbecue, the school gate, etc. So a lot of my time at the moment is is focused on keeping people engaged in that communication. Long term, ultimately, uh, it's a really good thing. You know, I said at the time, my expectation was nothing really new is going to come out of it, and that's been the case to date. There have been a, you know, some excellent um, reviews by you know, various white papers, productivity reviews over the last few years, but where some of those reviews can often get ignored or put in the bottom drawer, it's much harder for a government of any persuasion to ignore a Royal Commission. So I think ultimately, you know, it will lead to better outcomes for for residents, for families, for staff, for the overall sector. When you approached the role at Catholic Healthcare that you're currently in, from your point of view, were there any benefits of working with an executive search firm to uh, sort of work through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first up, getting a better understanding of the story of where the organisation was at and, and where it wanted to go. I found your role, Wayne, was, was incredibly helpful in that. And as I say, if, if I'd not had that, it may have just passed me by. It was not, not something that I would have um, automatically sort of responded to just on the face of it. And I think the conversation along the journey of 
you know, having very kind of honest, open, frank conversations of what the organisation was looking for, how my skills and experience could add value to what they were looking for was very helpful. So what's the most rewarding part of your current position? So the most rewarding part is the little stories I hear every day of the impact we have on people and people's lives. That's kind of what keeps you going, I think, day to day. You know, so I, I often get lovely handwritten letters from families talking about um, uh, examples of our staff going above and beyond what they've done. And so I, I cherish all of those, you know, share those and celebrate those. Because in my part of the world, we, we care for over uh, 3,000 people. Many of these people are without families, without loved ones. We are often the only people in their lives that are there to, to look after them. And so hearing the little stories of what people do every day, you know, serving our clients and our residents and our patients is incredibly energising. What do you think will be sort of the opportunities, perhaps the challenges that Catholic Healthcare will, will face over the next five years? I think the, the challenges and opportunities for us are pretty much the challenges and opportunities for, for every organisation in the sector right now. So aged care as a sector historically has not had a lot of change. You know, it's had incremental change, but not a lot of real transformational change. I think we're at a point in time right now where the Royal Commission is providing the catalyst for that, for that change. And so we know what's coming, we know what's ahead of us. The, the challenge is how do you operate in a world going forward where expectations of consumers will, will keep rising, and, and rightly so, but funding under kind of current funding paradigms does not meet those expectations. So it's, it's been, how do I still be famous for quality and, and have that at the forefront of everything I do? I have a very engaged team, but, but operate in an inefficient, commercial, sustainable way. And I think what it, what it means for us as an organisation, particularly you know, with, with the growth pipeline we have as we go from 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000 over the next couple of years, it means uh, we need to do everything well at scale. One of my mantras to the team is we'll not be measured by our, our average, we'll be measured by the experience of the 3,000th person, the 4,000th person. And so it's, it's how do I deliver amazing high-quality care every day with a, a well-equipped and, and empowered workforce and do that consistently. You mentioned earlier that you started your career with Macquarie Bank and their private equity team and you've obviously now transitioned into the healthcare sector. So, you know, how did that work for you? Were there any sort of learnings or adjustments you had to uh, make during that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was quite an adjustment. I think it's one thing to, to work in professional services and advise on the sector. It's another thing to be in the chair making decisions every day. And, and so I, I love it. I, I wouldn't go back to you know, being an advisor now. I really enjoy it. I think the adjustment is obviously in, in you know, professional services, you've got a, a, you know, a macro view, but I guess the day-to-day of, of what makes an organisation tick are its people. And so I think when you're, when you're in the role of, of general management, that, that is front and centre every day. You're constantly thinking about what can I do to make the lives of, of all of my leaders easier so that they in turn can, can deliver you know, better quality. And so it's a lot of, I guess, a lot of what I've spent my time on in, in, in recent times is less about professional services, you know, focus of macro strategic themes. You know, all of that stuff is critical, but... At the end of the day, execution is what matters, and execution only happens with good people who are empowered to deliver. Have you got any advice for you know young people that are in the sector or want to get into it, and you know how they might develop themselves and position themselves to sort of move up the ladder and develop their career? Yeah, so I guess first and foremost, that the sector at an overall level needs to attract more people and more leaders. 
simply because of you know demographics, but also because of the complexity of how organisations will evolve. So you know the nature of care is becoming, well, the nature of operations is becoming sort of more like subacute care, hospitals in some aspects more like a like a hotel. And so uh, you know I'm going out of my way at the moment to bring in people with hospitality backgrounds, with hospital backgrounds, with those sort of skill sets because I think that's what we'll need going forward because I can see that that's on the horizon. And so my, my advice, therefore, to, to people thinking about the sector or curious about the sector is, come on in. It's an excellent sector, I think an excellent training ground for general management. You're dealing with a people business, branch network, like remote sites, it has all that sort of complexity. And it's a business and an organisation, or a sector rather, that will be undergoing change for the next five, ten years. And so the things you learn in dealing with, like many aspects of healthcare, the interaction between consumers, funders, regulators, policymakers, is just outstanding training for, for anything you might do beyond that. When you're recruiting for your own staff at any level, you obviously look for someone's technical ability and experience. You, you look at whether they're sort of motivated to get up every morning and do their job but the third aspect of that model is what we might call likability um, ability to get on with people have emotional intelligence and and so on i mean how do you see that playing out do you think that's important so i, I think it's critical in any recruitment process i'm running um, i think there's, there's never any shortage of, of people as you say wanting with excellent technical ability but that ability as you say that that innate um, empathy, ability to relate to people at all levels, ability to therefore communicate and influence, I think is often harder to find. And sometimes in aid, you know, hard to also develop and coach. It's, you know, you can train lots of skills, but fundamentals of self-awareness and, and how you relate to others, it's often sort of ingrained. And I think in, in healthcare, it's critical because, you know, you're not dealing with widgets, you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people at all levels that as, as the sector's being asked to deliver more and more, you know, that that's also falling on them. And so having people who, excellent clinicians who've come up through the ranks, you know, from clinical pathways and asking them to now be general managers, that ability to coach, to mentor, develop and, and do, you know, to therefore grow our own is, is key. Yeah, very interesting. Andrew, it's been a really interesting conversation. appreciate your time today. Thanks, Will.